All right. Good morning, Cinco. How you doing? Um, we had a fantastic night last night. Uh, so impressed by every single year that I've been able to be at the youth missions auction. If you didn't get to go this year, mark your calendars. Go ahead and start setting aside a little bit for next year. It's a ton of fun uh, and pretty impressive every single year what this church is able to do in that moment. And more than that, what it does down the line. Uh, we're, we're talking this morning about Joseph, the dreamer. And, and, and I can't help but think about in, in those moments, some, sometimes a, a dream is planted with just a small seed, with just a moment. And that, that's the goal when it comes to these youth missions is that, that there's a seed planted in that moment that impacts our teenagers and impacts us for the rest of our lives as we continue to move forward. Uh, personally, I love a good dream. I love a good dream. I love to sleep because I got three kids and right now I really love a literal good dream. But I love a good dream. I always have. Uh, you know, I think I've said that before, but I kind of thought of myself a little bit like Kevin from the Wonder Years. I think they're doing a remake now, bringing it back. But in Kevin from the Wonder Years, you know, he'd always dream off and he'd have a daydream and he'd picture what things would be and what life would be like. Yeah, I started having dreams at a young age. I wanted to be a football player for the University of Tennessee. Dream's not done yet. Still got my eligibility. Uh, I might go back and, and use it. If I ever get that growth spurt, I think I've got one more coming. You know, sometimes dreams are just not very practical. Uh, I wanted to be a singer, too. I love performing at a young age. I know y'all are surprised by that, that I love to, to get up and, and make the couch my stage and sing Oak Ridge Boys and uh, Don't Mess With My Toot Toot. That was my favorite as a little, little boy. Y'all can go look that up. I'm sure it's on Spotify somewhere. But then I quickly realized that those weren't really my giftings from God. It really wasn't going to be a dream that was reality. It was a dream that, if I'm honest, was from Bo. It was a dream that I was putting in my heart, not something that God was. Dreams, dreams are powerful. Dream, dreams can be what in, in our darkest days give us hope because we know what can be and what is promised. Dreams are what create drive when we want to stop. Dreams are what give us direction when we don't know where we're going to go next. One of the problems we run into is that sometimes we ignore the dreams that are from God. We, we keep seeing plainly and clearly, if we just open our eyes, the message that God has given us for our life, but we just keep ignoring and keep shutting the door on the dreams that are from God. On the other hand, if your dreams, that we have the dreams that we give too much energy and effort to, uh, the dreams that aren't from God, the dreams that are from us. You know, I'd say this, if, if your dreams make sense to everyone in your life, I'm going to call you out, they aren't very good dreams. I don't even know if they're dreams at all. If it just makes sense to every single person in your life, I'm not sure they're very good dreams. See, Joseph, he had a dream. He had a dream, he had, he had a few. He had some that got him in trouble and some that saved him. He had these dreams that were a part of his life. We learn a lot about Joseph right away in the passage we just read in chapter 37. It, that we're going to kind of fly through this story because Joseph is, takes up a big section of the book of Genesis. So we're not going to hit on every element. But we see in, in chapter 37 that he was hated by his brothers and loved by his father. Hated by his brothers, loved by his father. It's plain as day, very clear. He, he was a favorite of his father. 
He, he was given this special coat, this, this, this technicolor dream coat, this, this coat of many colors, this, this beautiful coat that was not given to the rest of the brothers, that was special, that was most likely expensive, that he wore proudly around and kind of maybe flaunted in their face. And when it came to his relationship with his brother, we know that, brothers, we, we know that it wasn't a healthy one. I mean, they did try to kill him. But, but it starts early in the chapter when we see that, you know, he, they send him out to the fields and it comes back and it says that Joseph gave a bad report to his brothers. So, I mean, we know the saying, snitches get stitches. And that's what happens to Joseph down the line. He, he, he told on his brothers. He came back and he gave this bad report on his brothers. He, he, he really didn't have this relationship that was being built with them. And then as he comes back and he has this bad relationship, he has his first dream and the dreams of the sheaves and the sheaves rise up. And he says, and then the others bow down and mine rise up and everybody's bowing down to me. And if that wasn't enough, he comes back and he goes a little bit further and he says, I had another dream last night, guys. It, it was even more clear. It, it was that all the planets and the moon and the sun were all worshiping me. He dreamed his brothers hated him all the more. And it says his father, his dad questioned it. You know, his dad just wasn't blindly giving him his favoritism. It says he questioned it. He was bothered by Joseph's dream too. But it says this. It says he kept it in mind. He, he held it in the back of his mind that there was maybe more to this, that he knew his son wasn't just doing this for attention. Sometimes your dreams need to be shared. Sometimes they really need to be shared with people. I think there's power there when it comes to what God's showing you and what God's revealing in your mind and in your heart and your life that you should be doing. You share those and we share those because then we have accountability. If I share something with Chelsea that I want to do, then I have her reminding me of what I want to do and who I want to be in this life. I share it with you from a stage. I have people who are reminding me of what I've said that I want to do and who I've said that I want to be. There's a time to share your dreams. But sometimes... I think with Joseph here, they, they need to be cultivated. You know, like we can see some examples here. They, they need to be cultivated. Sometimes dreams need to be held closely so that they can grow and develop in our life. But the truth is, I wouldn't follow Joseph's method in sharing with his brothers. This didn't turn out well. His dreams were coming from God. We, we see this throughout the story of Joseph. His dreams were truly coming from God. And your dreams from God may confuse other people. If your dream is from God, it may confuse other people. It may even anger other people. But it doesn't mean just because it bothers other people and it, and it upsets other people that it's not from God. So you don't always have to share what God is telling you. But you do always have to listen. You don't always have to share what he's telling you, but you do need to always listen. So they're going out and they go in the field and the father sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. Obviously, I think maybe pointing to the friction. They're all shepherds, but Joseph is back at home and they're out in the field. Or maybe Joseph doesn't have to do as much work as his brothers. And so he goes out and he goes to check on his brothers and he finds them finally in the field. And they see him coming from a distance. And you remember what they said? They said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Obviously, what, what he said is not set with them well. And they say, I, I know what we need to do. We need, we need to kill him. This, this, isn't, this isn't a little bit of disdain for their brother. This isn't that they don't like him. They, they truly hate their brother. They decide they're going to kill him. And Reuben, Reuben tries. Reuben, Reuben's kind of this underrated character in the story of Joseph we see throughout. He does everything that he can to try and save the life of Joseph. And I'm not sure it was because he did, that he loved Joseph that much more. I think he just loved his father that much more. 
I think he had this perspective ahead of time, ahead of the others, of how much this would hurt his father. And because of that, he didn't want to do this. He didn't want to bring that kind of pain on his father. So he was trying to save Joseph. But as he goes off and as he comes back, he finds what's been done. Judah, as they're getting ready to kill him, he says, hey, let's think this through. Let's think this through. Let's get a little something out of this for ourselves. And so y'all remember how it went, what we just read. He sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites and sold into Egypt, into Potiphar's house. So we have Reuben trying. We have Judah looking out for himself and for money and for gain. And then we have Jacob. Jacob lamenting the loss of his son. See, in this moment, there, there are losses in this life that change us forever. And that's what Jacob is experiencing here. That's what anybody in here who's experienced that kind of loss fully understands in this moment where Jacob gets word from his sons that his son is gone. And all of his other, other children, his sons and his daughters, are trying to uh, console their father. But he's saying that he will mourn until his last days, until he is with Joseph again and helping each other to mourn. This is a great thing for us to remember because it's really hard for us, but you don't have to be the answer. I think his children did the right thing except for the sons who are continuing to lie to him. But besides that, going to comfort their father, doing the right thing. But sometimes if you're in that seat, if you're on that side, you feel really helpless in trying to comfort someone you love in loss while they, they refuse to feel comfort. And I want to remind you, like, if you're in that situation, if you've been in that situation, you're, you're not doing anything wrong. There's just such a deep pain right now that they want to feel that pain. And they are right in wanting to feel that pain and wanting to mourn in the way that they want to mourn. Jacob knew this was the kind of pain that in that moment he was going to carry forever. And that's part of being on this earth too. There, there is pain that we experience that we will carry for the rest of our life. Send so back to Joseph. Joseph sold into Potiphar's house. He sold into Potiphar's house. And what we're going to see throughout Joseph's life is he continues to be blessed. And he continues to thrive in every situation that he's in. And it's not because of who Joseph is. It's because of who his God is. But don't miss it that he's thriving in Potiphar's house, but he's still a slave. He's still a slave. He, this isn't like, oh, well, everything turned out perfect for Joseph. No, Joseph is still a slave in Potiphar's house. But he begins to rise, and, and he's eventually given control of Potiphar's entire house. You know, he, he's blessed very well as much as you can be as a slave. And then we have this moment where character is tested. And see, character sometimes has a cost. I would say it almost always has a cost. Character matters. We'll see with the story of Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, the other main character in this section of the story is that she sees Joseph, she wants Joseph, she's a powerful woman. I'd say powerful women get what they want most of the time in this culture and she wants Joseph and she tells Joseph that and she approaches Joseph. And you remember what Joseph says, he says, I, I can't do this. How, how could I do this to my master and how could I do this to my God? See, the thing about character that's different, I want you to hear this morning, he, he made a permanent decision with his first reply to Potiphar's wife. He, this wasn't a temporary decision. This wasn't a t decision in a situation. This was a permanent decision. When he was saying no, he was saying never. 
He was saying, no, that is not who I am. That's not who I'm going to be. He's made this permanent decision of who he was going to be. And that's the difference in character is that he didn't waver. Sometimes I'm afraid when it comes to character in our, in our world that, that we live in that is that we make a commitment, but we don't really make it with full character. In other words, we, we, we commit, but then we almost start to open up a debate in our mind. We, we start to give ourselves reasons to second guess, and those kind of reasons would have led to Joseph falling, would have led to Joseph failing. There are plenty of reasons for Joseph to second guess this situation. <clears throat> Joseph was in a bad situation, and he'd been blessed in a bad situation, and he could have easily said, I have a lot to gain. I have a lot to gain in this situation. More than that, he could have said, I have a whole lot to lose. If I, if I don't play my cards right, I have a whole lot to lose in this situation. But he wasn't basing his decision on his situation. He was basing his decision on his relationship with his God. And we do this all the time in really simple ways. I do it all the time. I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get healthier. I'm going to clean up my diet. And then literally right after I say that, I go, I'm going you know, to eat clean this week. You know, unless, unless there's a social event. I mean, I... Can't eat, can't eat clean at the youth missions auction. Like, we got this cake that has eight sticks of butter in it. Like, I, I got to have a bite of that. Yeah, I mean, if we get a babysitter, I mean, I'm not going to eat clean on a date. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy our date. We don't get a date night that often. I'm, I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing when I'm out. And I mean, if there's a game on, I mean, the Titans play today right after church playing the Saints. I mean, I've got to eat something good during the Titans game. Like we, we do this, we, we make these decisions and we say like, this is, I'm in, I'm in, I'm committed, I'm going to be better. And it goes much deeper than our diet. We say, I'm going to get better, I'm going to make a change in my life, except, except, except. That's not what Joseph does. That's the difference in these character building moments. Character is not a commitment to someone else. It's a commitment to yourself, a commitment to your God. It is going so much deeper than a commitment to someone else. That's what Joseph does here. He doesn't really mean this for her. He means this for him. His character, as I said, was rooted in two main things. It was rooted in his loyalty to man. It was. I believe, I believe Joseph found some strength in his loyalty to Potiphar. Potiphar had blessed him. Potiphar had total control of Joseph, and he did not have to give him this position of power. And so I think he's honoring that. He's honoring the physical blessing of a man in his life. But so much more than that, it's his loyalty to God. And that's what he says. He says, how can I do this and sin against God? How can I make this decision and sin against God? So y'all know the story. She snags his cloak. She snags his garment. Clothes keep getting Joseph in trouble over and over again. And Joseph does what he should do. He runs. In this moment of aggression, he doesn't give it a chance to develop. He says, no, I am out. I'm out. I'm not going to let this happen. And he runs and she keeps it and she lies. And of course, Potiphar is so angry. But he doesn't have Joseph put to death, which is always unique to me. It makes me wonder how much Potiphar really knew about the situation. Because it says he's angry. It doesn't really say he's necessarily just angry at Joseph. Instead, he has him put into prison. He has him put into prison, sent to prison, and it says, but while he was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was still thriving. 
And this is something for us to understand. God's kindness and blessings doesn't equal a perfect path. Sometimes that's the way we go with our relationship with God. Things aren't going perfectly and we say, why God? We, we immediately bring God into question when really it's life circumstances and maybe God is still blessing us despite the circumstances that this life has led us to. God's blessing and kindness doesn't equal a perfect path in this life. You can still experience God's blessing in terrible situations. Said most of us get so locked into how bad where we are is that we miss the goodness that is still found there. The goodness that is from God. And I think that's part of what kept Joseph so focused on the things that really matter. We don't, we don't see the day-to-day. I'm sure there were some bad days in prison. I'm sure there were some bad days in slavery. I'm sure there were some bad days that we're going to see in power. But Joseph seemed to always reflect back to his God. Prison was going to be part of his path. One thing that sticks out to me about Joseph along the way is that there are always reasons to quit along the way, along that path that we're led along in this life. There's always reasons to quit. There are reasons where the world says you are totally validated in stopping. And I think when we read the story of Joseph, we could say, Joseph, you're, you're good. Like, you, you, you really haven't done anything to deserve this. You haven't been perfect. You bragged a little bit. You kind of rubbed it in a little bit. You flaunted your dreams. You flaunted your coat. But you don't deserve this. You're totally validated in stopping. But Joseph keeps finding these blessings in God, of God in horrible situations. And his gift of the dreams returns to him. I love something about what Joseph says here. He says we both, they both had dreams, talking about the cupbearer and the baker. And they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. So they're troubled by their dreams. They've upset Pharaoh. They've been tossed into prison beside Joseph. And Joseph says to him, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So while Joseph's first presentation of interpretation wasn't great, he knew when something was from God. He knew when it was coming from God. And listen, for what God is saying, more than for just what you want to hear, Listen for what God is really telling you. You know, sometimes we, we just listen for what we want to hear. We try, and, we try and listen in between so that we can figure out what God is telling us that is exactly what we're telling ourselves. Listen for what God is really saying to you. So Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream. Cupbearer is really excited. It's like, you'll be restored. You'll be restored back to where you are. And Baker, uh, it's, it's not going to be good, but I'm sorry. You're going to be impaled. You're going to be killed. But then the cupbearer, he, he goes back into the palace and he tells Joseph that he's going to remember him, but it says right away, he forgot him. He forgot him. The cupbearer make, makes me mad. It makes me upset when I read that with all Joseph did for him. But it also teaches us a lesson that, that sometimes people are going to fail you. When we put our confidence in people over our confidence in God, there's going to be times that they fail us. Don't put all your confidence there. When you do, if that's where your confidence lies, you can end up really, really bitter. And Joseph somehow seemed to fight off that desire to become really bitter in his circumstances. The flip side is that we need to remember why we are where we are. What, what got us there and who helped us to get there? Of course, the, the cupbearer eventually remembers Joseph. He's back with Pharaoh and he, he remembers him when he kind of benefits him. Pharaoh's had a dream, 
No one can interpret the dream. And the cupbearer says, I know a guy. When, when, I, when I was in prison, there was a man who, who told me my dream, and he told the baker a dream, and they were, they were absolutely accurate. I'm restored here. The baker is gone. You remember that, right? And, and so they call up for Joseph, and he's brought up out of the pit. He's brought up out of the dungeon in the prison. And it's really interesting here because sometimes we can hear the words of the prosperity of Joseph and forget where he actually was, that he was still in the pit, that he was still in the dungeon. It says, it says he went and got a haircut and a shave. Like, I get this image that Joseph was looking really rough. He'd been down in the prison, and while he had power in the prison, it was still power in a prison. It was still limited by circumstances and where he was stuck at that moment. And so they pull him up, and they take him, and they get a haircut, and they get him clean-shaven. Chelsea's might want me to get one right now. But... But they get him all cleaned up and before Pharaoh, and he comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him in verse 15 and 16, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. See, Joseph wasn't going to claim it was him. Joseph still knows where the dreams are coming from. He still has confidence in that. And maybe that, that's why Joseph keeps being able to press on in times when most people were quit. It's because he truly believes that. He's still reflecting back on the dreams he had as a child, and he still knows that those dreams are from God, and he knows he hasn't seen them become reality yet. Joseph was 17. He's about to be 30 when he goes into Pharaoh's service. Sometimes those dreams you had just have not fully developed yet. That doesn't mean they're not coming. It doesn't mean that it's not going to come to be just because it hasn't happened yet. So he interprets the dreams. He gives Pharaoh these answers to what he should do. And he, and he tells him the decisions he should make and what he should do pr to prepare and the power that it's going to bring him. And so Pharaoh says, you know, can, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And then he's kind of, I, I kind of get this image that Pharaoh in this situation, he's looking around and he's like, can we find a man? Can we find a man? And it's like, oh, wait, we have a man. Why, why would we leave here and look for someone else? Why not pull this man from the prison into the palace and set him in a place of power just under me? And I ask you the same question this morning. We're sometimes more drawn to why, why would I be chosen why would I be used? And, and I'll ask you the other side, why, why not? Why, why not, Joseph? Why not you in the same situation? Don't waste what God has been preparing you for. You know, if Joseph goes back to the prison, it's all been wasted. But in this moment, he is able to bring it to full fruition. When God reveals the future to us, it places a responsibility on us. With Joseph, he, he had this revealed to him, and he had a responsibility because of that. Do something with what you've been given in this life. So Joseph is second in command, and look at what Joseph does in all of this. In chapter 41, in verses 51 and verse 52, it says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn, of his firstborn, Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's so interesting here to me in the way the names that he chooses in Manasseh and Ephraim and the descriptions that go along. 
So I think it shows, like, sometimes we can take these characters who do big things in Scripture and we can forget the humanity of them. Don't miss how hurt Joseph was. Don't, don't miss how devastated and wounded and broken he'd been by what he went through. He hurt. He hurt deeply. He carried anger. He carried resentment. Sometimes we can look at the way Joseph's about to handle the rest of the story and we can think they didn't, but he did. And that's why he's saying in this moment, thank God. Thank God that I've been brought healing. And it doesn't mean that he really forgot his family. It doesn't really mean that he forgot his circumstances. It meant that God has brought him healing in spite of what he's been through. And I believe God can do the same thing for us. He brings healing when we don't see it coming. We don't see the road that is really there. He doesn't really forget. He just gave him a different perspective. A different perspective that only comes with time with God. God brings healing and God provides blessing. And then we've got Joseph. Joseph meeting his brothers. They come. There's a famine in all the land as Joseph's seen in the dream, as he interpreted in the dream, and they prepared and so Egypt is in this position of overwhelming power over all the land around them. And so people hear of this and they start to send to go and buy grain from Egypt, making it more and more powerful. And Joseph's brothers come and they come to buy grain and they buy grain from Joseph. And you can picture this moment. This moment that, that Joseph kind of is in a position of so much power, so much command of the situation because Beyond his position of literal power, they, they don't recognize him. You know, Joseph's lived in a different culture for 13 years plus now. Half his life now, he, he's lived in a different culture. He looks different. He appears, I guarantee, like an Egyptian. And so they don't recognize him, but he looks at them and he sees their distinctive clothing right away. He sees their faces and he can tell that it's his brothers. And so they had this conversation and he asked about his father he hears them talking about him, and this is why I personally relate to Joseph so much. He weeps, because y'all know I, I, I can cry pretty easily. He weeps, he cries, he asks about his brother. And he sends him away and he says, hey, don't, don't come back unless you bring your brother. Bring, bring this other brother with you, and they keep Simeon there as kind of a ransom if they want more. So they go back home they tell the story of their father, and the dad's already lost. His other son from Rachel says, no, like this is not happening. You are not taking Benjamin with you. But the famine is so severe, so severe, so severe that eventually he caves. And, and he says, okay, you can go, but I want you to take this extra silver that's been put back in your bags. I want you to take that, and I want you to double it. I want you to take it back. And there's something really neat here. He starts to pick the choice things from it. It says in verse 11 of chapter 43, their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, a little gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almond. I can just imagine the emotions as they get there. And when they get there first, you know, the steward takes them up and they're so nervous because they're brought into this feast. And so they think it's a setup. They think Joseph knows that somehow the money ended up back in their bag. He's bringing them into here to kill them, to put them into slavery, to take their donkeys, take everything they have on their backs and to make it his. They do not trust Joseph. They do not know that they know Joseph. And the steward, he says, no, your God put that money back in your bags. You are good. Do not be afraid. They bring him to the dinner. 
Joseph, Joseph is important. He's the kind of important that he isn't there yet. Like that's when you know you're really important. When everybody else is at the dinner and you're not there and Joseph is arriving at noon. And so they get everything set up and they lay out the gift for him. That's why I think Joseph continues to get so emotional because of the situation he's going through. But it's kind of a buildup. If you put yourself in this situation, you imagine you walk in the room and after probably now up to 17 years out of your home, truly half his life away from his homeland, and he walks in and there's a gift laid on the table. He's lived in Egypt and Egypt has all kinds of wonderful things and all kinds of goods, but it's not home. Y'all know how that is. He looks down and he, he sees the fruits of his home. He sees probably some things that he hasn't tasted since he was 17 years old and he was tossed into that cistern. He, he sees those laid out before him, those things that make him literally taste home again. And he looks around and he sees Benjamin. He sees Benjamin, his brother, says in verse 29 of chapter 43, he says, he lifted his eyes up and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And that's all he could say. You know, I have to, I have to picture personally that he saw himself when he looked at Benjamin. That he saw his mom when he looked at Benjamin, who he hadn't seen since he'd left home. And he just, he couldn't take it. It says, Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber, and he wept there. Joseph sees Benjamin, he's so overwhelmed by what's in front of him. He's seeing things start to take place and start to make sense that for his entire life have not made sense to him, have been so confusing. And so he decides to put his brothers to the test. He plants the cup in Benjamin's sack and they send him off. And he sends his men after him and they overtake his brothers. And as they overtake his brothers, they, of course, throw their hands in the air and they say, this is not us. We're not thieves. Why would we bring double back to you? We, well, this is not, we don't need your silver. We just need your grain. We would not do this. So if you find it on one of us, you, you can have that person. And, of course, they find it in the knapsack of Benjamin. In Joseph's test of his brothers, I think what he's really trying to figure out is if, have they grown? Have they changed? And then they really pass the test fully in this moment by their reaction because they all fall prostrate, 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 not prostate. That's a different word. Different word altogether. Different sermon. Uh, they fall prostrate, they bow before him, they beg. And then Joseph, when he's about to take Benjamin, I think maybe in this moment, he probably had this torn thing. He might like, I just want my brother back at this point, my brother that didn't toss me in the pit. I'll take that one. The rest of y'all maybe can go. And in this moment, Judah steps up. Judah, who had, who had been the selfish leader, honestly, don't, don't get it twisted. He, he didn't save Joseph because he wanted to save Joseph. He saved Joseph because he wanted to gain something from it. He would have killed Joseph in a heartbeat if it meant he still got the money. He, he was not the one with the big heart for Joseph. But now in his old age, he's changed. He's matured. He's grown. And it says in verse 33 of chapter 44, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back 
with his brothers for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to, to see the evil that would find my father. We see this huge change in Joseph, and it's a huge change that we can all see in our lives. Truth is, y'all have been really selfish at times. Selfish in your relationships, selfish in your relationships with people, selfish in your relationships with your God. So self-centered, so self-focused on what is going to be best for you in this life. And then we have Judah doing this full 180. This full 180 and going from so self-centered to so self-sacrificing. I'm saying, do not take my brother. I cannot imagine what it would do to my father. Please, please take me instead. Then we have the big reveal. <clears throat> Joseph, Joseph in this position of power, which he could do, he says, everyone out. Like everybody except, except these guys, except these Israelites, everybody else out. And then he says to them, he looks around and I can just imagine how emotional he is. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my father alive? And they literally cannot speak a word. I have to imagine in that moment, you know, because when you recognize somebody, y'all have been there, but you don't really know that you know them, but you think you know them. And I have to think that's probably how they felt this entire time. Like, why, is, why does this Egyptian, this Egyptian governor look so familiar to us? Why does, there's something in his eyes. There's something in the way he carries himself. There's something in his voice. In this moment, he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father really still alive? I think that's what he's questioning. Is he really alive? And they cannot speak a word. And then verse 45 and verse 7 and 8, he says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I think in this moment... It's a really cool full story moment where Joseph is saying to his brothers, hey guys, he doesn't have to go into detail, but he's saying, y'all, y'all remember those dreams? Remember those dreams that, that led you to make that decision, that, that built this hate for me in your hearts, that made you have this kind of animosity that you were willing to throw me into the pit? Well, our God, this is how good he is. That was so evil. He's not denying that. That was evil. What they did was evil. And what you did that was so evil, our God turned for good. Our God used to deliver our people. And now you're going to be able to come here and live in prosperity during a time of famine. And that's what happens. And they go back and they get Jacob. And Jacob comes with them. He believes that his son's still alive. He gets to see his son still alive again. And they all prosper in the land until the time of the death of Jacob. The thing about Joseph is, and that we can learn from him this morning, he, he never lost sight of God while he was stuck in the pit. It is inevitable in this life for most of us, if not all of us, that you're going to be, have a time where you are tossed down in a cistern, thrown down into a pit, begging for relief, begging for things to change, begging for things to get better. And there will be such a temptation to lose sight of your God. Don't allow the brokenness of man to make you lose sight of your God. Joseph never did. The pit didn't limit his future. 
You know, for most of us, we, we have a tragedy like this. We have big dreams, and we go, nope, those are gone. He, he didn't do that. It, instead, the, the, the pit that he was thrown into ended up shaping his future. It ended up bringing him to the destination that he was supposed to be in. The, the pit doesn't have to limit your destination. It's a temporary fall if you allow it to be. Instead, it shaped it. The only reason that the past keeps defeating you, I would say, is because you keep letting it. The only reason that your past keeps getting wins is because you allow it to over and over again. This isn't just to close the door on your pain and bury it deeply. That's the only You have to deal with that. You have to deal with your pain. I think that's what Joseph was doing. I think Joseph was dealing with his pain. He dealt with his pain fully so that he could end up defeating his pain. Instead of allowing it to continue to get victories over you over and over again. That's what bitterness does. Joseph had every right to be bitter. Every right. Fully validated by our standards to be very bitter, to hate his brothers. And if he did that, he would have keep, kept experiencing that moment of being tossed into the pit over and over again. It would win throughout the rest of his life, and he did not let that happen. And then we see that the last pit we climb out of, I feel like, for most of us, when it comes to the pain in our own lives, is the pit of forgiveness. The pit of, of truly forgiving. With, with Joseph's brothers, the moment when Jacob passed, their fear came back. I think it says something about, one, their own guilt they were carrying, but also how much they knew Joseph also loved his father. That, I think in those moments there were days where they, they didn't think Joseph necessarily had really forgiven them. They just knew that he really loved their father that much, that he would not hurt them, that he would continue to bless them, to honor his father, that he was going to do everything in his power to bring honor to his dad. And so the moment Jacob's gone and they go and they go back to Israel and they go on this long journey fulfilling the promise that Joseph has made, Pharaoh blesses it. It's this beautiful ceremony. They go back and as they leave, the brothers kind of look at each other and they're like, all right, I don't know if we're safe anymore, guys. Like, I, I really, I, I mean, I, I personally, if I was in Joseph's shoes, if that was me, if I was the one y'all had thrown in and I got put in a position of power, I think I would have just been waiting I think this is the time. This is when we're finally going to get our repaid for our mistakes, for the pain we brought in his life. And so they almost, they make up a lie again. They, they, they say, you know, Jacob told us, our dad told us that, that, that you should take care of us for the rest of our life. So then they bow down before him again and they beg just to be his slave. They, they don't have any trust for Joseph. And you notice again, like I said, Joseph's like me, he cries pretty easy. Joseph cries. And I think Joseph cries because Joseph really had forgiven them. You know, it said it, and when he forgave them, and we can't again go throughout the whole text, it's a long text, but it says, you know, he, he hugged them, he kissed them after he revealed himself to them. Joseph, Joseph had fully forgiven them. And sometimes this is the way guilt works. We can be fully forgiven. And still have so much doubt that there is any way we are forgiven. We, we're, we're fully forgiven. 
We are truly, fully forgiven. As, as followers of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are fully forgiven, but we have that doubt. We have that little bit of doubt in the back of our mind of like, oh, you know, pretty sure God still wants to kill me. I'm pretty, pretty sure God still wants to punish me because I'm pretty sure that's still what I deserve. And so I've still got to keep fighting for the rest of my life to maybe earn that forgiveness back from him. And they go to Joseph and they say this, and Joseph just is so overwhelmed by it. Joseph has already forgiven them. And then verse 50, <clears throat> sorry, verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I'm in the place of, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, guilt is a really, really powerful thing. Guilt is. It'll shape your decisions, shape your ability to heal. It'll affect your relationships. When you, you carry that guilt every single day, it will affect your life negatively. But the thing that is more powerful than guilt is what Joseph offered. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is so much more powerful than guilt. That's what our God still offers to us. They have no doubt there are people in here that have trouble embracing that, trouble feeling that you are worthy of that, and that's the truth. Well, just because you're not worthy doesn't mean God doesn't give it, that we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, but our God still freely gives it to each of us. Let's stand and worship.